0: Welcome to the Leverage 3 podcast. This is where we talk to high performers that bring you three tactics you can leverage today to impact your business and life. I'm Craig Shoemaker, and today's guest is Antonio Reza. Antonio was born and raised in Mexico, then he received a bachelor's degree in business from the United States. And his work includes time at three of the biggest companies in the world GE, Microsoft, I know a guy who works there, and Google. His international career has allowed him to live in ten different countries, where he now resides in France. And he's currently head of finance at Google Cloud. Antonio, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Greg, for the invite invitation. Uh, very happy to be here.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So, being head of finance at a place, you know, a small little outfit, a little upstart called Google. I mean, you must see a lot of different use cases, a lot of different. Uh, applications to your discipline working there. What's one of the things that stuck out to you most about something that maybe you ran into that you kind of never expected to see?
1: I think um, the I, I would say the use of technology and how we apply that into the finance function. And I think that actually started more at Microsoft than Google. Uh, but i do see that here i mean microsoft is a more mature company in terms of finance and how we handle financial statements financial reporting um, than google especially in my uh particular business which is google cloud but um you know yeah i mean fantastic technology like machine learning algorithms applied on you know how do we use those to forecast revenue or cost things like that so that was a shocker because people talk about finance transformation all the time and seeing it applied already, that was pretty, pretty cool. So one of the things I wanted
0: to ask you was it, maybe if you could take us through a story of of any time that you'd encountered where a financial issue kind of loomed on the horizon that threatened to kind of derail a company that was going really well and Kind of, what did that company do to address it?
1: I mean, there's many, but I would say one that stands out. I, it was probably when I was an auditor, and uh, it was a company that was in it uh, was actually headquartered in, in Venezuela, and uh, well, it was not headquartered. It was it's a, it was subsidiary of of the company. And, uh, but the location was in Venezuela. And I think that I was the audit manager at that point and they wanted me and the team to go and basically clean the house because before there were no individuals that had gone to Venezuela and audit, you know, basically all of the company in that subsidiary.
0: So this was a physical audit
1: exactly so before it was more like through email hey send me this documentation and that and uh it was it would always pass or maybe we would find something let's say mild or not not that problematic but then i guess the stars aligned at some point and i was the audit manager for that project and then my associates at the time they were all from latin america so there was no excuse of we don't speak the language we don't right. know the, the culture. And so they sent us there for about four months. And I mean, there I would start with, you know, now it's pretty popular, the topic with what's happening on, with FTX, right? With, with compliance and whatnot. But that's basically what we did. Like it was first we started with the compliance checks. All right. Are these guys actually following policy, right? Mm-hmm. Are they actually recognizing revenue the way they should? Are they actually incurring costs the way they should? Um, and, you know, I think a lot of the things that we found out, which were compliance, right, like lack of regulation and things like that, that trickled down into the financial statements. They were not stated correctly. Uh, a lot of issues around, you know, how do we, you could say, even embezzle certain inventory or, or <laughs> yeah, you know. A little, um, little creative financing going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that just created such a red flag and a warning. And that was the, you know, that had a risk of derailing the company and, and 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 the and the progress of the company because of a reputational potential reputational risk. Right. Mm-hmm. If this could leak, um, it could be, you know, it could have ramifications of you know, from an audit perspective and we would get audited by external institutions like the SEC or things like that or, you know, uh, just potentially, a, you know, even a fine, right? Right. So I think that was the first time that I experienced something like that, that, you know, lack of compliance, lack of controls, lack of even financial literacy of how things are done right. can pose a risk. But I think that, that was a big one.
0: Building a business is tough and even tougher when you do it alone. So why not use proven systems to help grow your business and focus your message? Now, Dan Coe is the creator's creator. His system found in the two-hour writer helps you cultivate your best ideas. And the Modern Mastery community is there to challenge and support your growth every step of the way. I'm there and you should be too. So go to leverage3podcast.com slash that's K-O-E, and let's get you going. So, when you talk about financial literacy, I think it's yeah. people who are either small business owners, solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, sometimes get intimidated by the whole financial aspect of it. People often go into business because they're creative or they're good salespeople, but yeah. then it's like now they have to handle that aspect of it, it can be a little rough sometimes. So, you, know, you talked about balance sheet and, and income statement and cash flow statements. So uh, how would you describe the the story that each one of these is trying to paint for a, a business?
1: Yeah. So I think that's a good, you know, segue of this because uh, typically if you think about a startup, the last person, or not the last person, but the not it's not the first person that they hire as part of their leadership team, uh, CFO, okay. right? It's typically more a product, uh, you know, chief product officer or a salesperson because they they try to scale. And then when it gets to a certain size, then that's when they start onboarding the CFO. Or now there's kind of like this uh, new trend that I've seen that there's fractional CFOs, where there's kind of like you rent one uh, and you pay them based on an hourly basis. CFO is a service. Exactly, basically. <laughs> um, but I would say so... I think it's important for people that are business owners and don't have that key role yet to learn what an income statement, balance sheet and cash flow statement are. And I think in a very simple way, the income statement is basically the one that probably most people know because it's just your profit and loss, right? So you have your sales minus your costs and then it gives you your profit. That It's that simple. And it's basically... Um, A representation of how you're doing as time goes by right so in January then February and you accumulate the revenue and the cost and then you see how healthy you are as you progress then the balance sheet is a bit more complicated you could say um, because it has more let's say you could say it's a bit more technical to to handle and and that's when typically you need an accountant Um, but you have typically the very simple equation right it's just your assets your liabilities, and then your equity. And the way that I typically explain to people that are not very versed in finance is just like, you know, stuff that you own minus the stuff that you owe is the stuff you keep, right? (laughs) Right. Um, And then that one is at a point in time. So it tells you, okay, what was, for example, if you take cash, what was the cash that I had at the bank as of the end of the year, the beginning of the year, the middle of the year? And then finally, the cash flow statement is, which I think is the most important one, it it tells you where the cash is coming from and going into. And you divide that into three parts. Operating activities, which is basically what you actually do, the products you sell. Um, And then investing and financing activities, which is more like loans and equity infusions. If, for example you're a startup and you get a series d investment that's going to go there right so it's you didn't generate it because of your, how your product is selling is because some angel investor or a vc firm funded you for operations and i say that that's the most important because you can have a business that is very profitable in the on the income statement right but you don't have any cash mm-hmm. and that just can ruin the picture the picture like the, the business can go bankrupt because you cannot make payroll. Right. But you may actually have a loss, but if you have enough cash coming in, you can keep operating. So I think that's the, in a very simplified way, that's what they tell you, more or less.
0: Right. So that's the the story that they're saying individually.
1: Yeah. And then once what you, combine you, you right?
0: Yeah. So uh, together, what's the story?
1: Yeah. So I think, and that's the other important point. I think in, when I was in college, for example, I think that Schools don't do a very good job in telling you how they relate to each other. Maybe they do, but at least I, I don't remember it that way. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: were sick that day, you know? It's yeah, right.
1: I guess. Um, and I think, yeah, when, when you, you see how everything um, ties together. In fact, I actually wrote, wrote a, a thread uh, where it actually tells you how all the moving parts relate to each other, right? So you know that your cash in the balance sheet will be used to tell you what the position of the cash flow statement was you will see that your retained earnings from your income statement will will show up also on the balance sheet the cash flow statement like it's all these like moving pieces and it can tell you you know how healthy the business really is like for example a lot of people say hey we have a lot of cash in the bank but then like did you generate that in fact because you're operating the business efficiently or is mm-hmm. it more because you got again an equity infusion or are you profitable because for example people say like wow the sales just grew a ton but then if you start looking okay but did they grow because one account that was very big you know ordered something you know placed a very big order so now it's huge and that's why my profit is so inflated but then the next quarter that customer is gone and then my sales will drop and then my profit will shrink right so all these things and all these questions just have to be analyzed you know, not in a silo and not in a vacuum, but together.
0: Right. Well, and you've said not every dollar, not every mm. profit dollar is the same.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> so that one, I think it's also an important uh, point because the income statement, for example, or the profit and loss statement, it's divided into, you know, let's say three or four, four chunks and the first one, like, there's different types of profit. For example, you have the, your gross, gross profit, which is basically your sales minus the cost of sales. For example, if you think of, of uh, let's say, an, an, a, a car business, like an automotive business, like a Ford or Chevrolet, you would say, okay, the sales is what they sell the car to the customer. That's the price. And then the cost is basically all the people that are working in the shop, um, the materials that go into manufacturing the car, and any overhead. Right? So that gives right. you a gross profit, which is more of an indicator of are you, is your product line healthy? Yes or no. And then from there you go into your operating expenses, which I think this is where most businesses get it wrong. Because sometimes you can, as you scale up an operation or a business, especially from a startup and you start getting money and you scale and you hire engineers, you hire you know, recruiters or whatnot, mm-hmm. the cost structure of a business can become very fat. Uh, and that drags down the margin that you work if you had a good margin on manufacturing right and if you have a very high operating cost then you can just drop the profits and it's just not good it depends on the industry as well but that's where most of the efficiency should be looked at right like you should see okay do I have enough salespeople, um, or marketing people or advertising people or do I have too, too many? Or do I have too many recruiters? And if you see the news, for example, all these job cuts, the first people that they let go are the support functions, right? Anybody right. who's not related to the product. So people in Definitely. HR, people in you know, finance, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, hopefully we're the last people to, to let go. But uh, yeah, <laughs> recruiters, all, the, all those people are the first ones to be let go.
0: Anything re- viewed as like a cost
1: center, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You got it. And then finally, right, you have the net profit, but that's when you start considering other types of costs that are more like depreciation, um, other sources of income. For example, anything that you get from if you invested in some securities and you get a dividend payment that goes in there. Um, Or if you like in big corporations, sometimes they discontinue operations. They don't operate that business, but then you're still getting some, you know, little lag of dollars. from the contracts that were kind of legacy and then tax, right? And then after Mm -hmm. that, you get your net profit. So that's why it's kind of different because people can look at that from a margin perspective, like percentage of that profit relative to sales. And they say, oh, this one is big or this one is small, but each of those tells you a different story. One of them tells you, are you operating your business efficiently, effectively, productively? The other one is, do you have a very bloated cost structure? Do, do, do you actually need all these people to operate the business? Or could you, for example, move things to automation? Could you outsource this into a shared service center in a cheaper country like India or Mexico, for example, which we do? Um, or, you know, and then net profits more like, hey, how come did I pay so many taxes? Is there any opportunity to optimize taxes here to pay less? Mm-hmm. So that, that's what I meant with that with that. Tweet.
0: Nice. So can you pinpoint anything that occurs to you or that you see on a, on a regular basis that's unintuitive about these practices? So it's like, okay, our costs are too high. Let's just cut our costs. But I would imagine yeah. like it's, it's never that easy, right?
1: No. No, no, I wish it was. Um, <laughs> I think probably the, at least where I start Right, and again, it depends on on the goal of the company. Because if the goal of the company is to grow, typically you will have a very bloated cost structure to hire all these salespeople or marketing people because you want to expand, you want to gain market share from someone. Let's take that as an example. So, if you want to grow, what you want to focus on is on that first uh, profit piece, right? Where you're like, all right, "Am I operating it efficiently so that I have enough dollars to sustain?" my fat cost structure of these, all these sellers. And so in, in that case, for example, you start looking at, um, you know, in a very, like if we go back to the car example, okay, my sales are this. Am I actually discounting a lot? For example, is this, is this more something to blame on the sellers? Mm. Um, why? Because, you know, in order to, for you to sign a contract, a lot of the sellers will have certain empowerment policies where you say, okay, you're going to sell, I don't know, uh, in this region, in the United States, uh, and depends on the size of the customer, you're entitled to give a discount up to 10%, for example. And there's very good sellers that don't give it away unless it's like very, okay, there's a lot of compensation. There's a, this guy who wants to sell as well. So, okay, I'll give them one or two. And then they start going in that ladder, but they, there's also bad salesmen that you just go and they want to sign the contract, get the quota and they give the 10% right away. So that's when you start to do a little bit of investigation. To see, all right, who is are we giving too many discounts, for example, right or concessions, and then okay, let's say that okay, no, well, it's not the problem. Then maybe it's on the cost side. Okay, so or like you start going into like this breakdown of direct materials, direct labor, and overhead, and you say, okay, my direct labor, for example, and how much is one hour of work relative to the cost of the car, for example. Or you can start saying. Um, typically, the problem is is negotiated prices with suppliers, and you say, okay, so give me a list of all the suppliers, all the purchase orders in the past. I don't know, six months, and then have have we seen prices or our cost increase, right? And is that related because you know there's a commodity increase uh, in price for you know metal or whatnot, or is it more about the, the supplier is trying to enhance and expand their margins so they're they're. Marking up the price a little bit more to us, so there could be all these reasons. And then within that universe of of explanations, you can say, okay, well, you know, this supplier doesn't, you know, work anymore for us. So we have to negotiate a different contract with another supplier who might be cheaper. So then you open like this, let's say, uh, uh, yeah, supplier, you know, choice kind of process, where mm-hmm. they kind of do a bid, and then you you assign the contract. Um, i mean it could be overhead but that's typically not the the case um, because then you you know you would t- go into more conversations around all right is this building too expensive is the rent too expensive so we need to move buildings that's a more complex um, you know conversation but yeah I, th- I I think it would start there so yeah it's, it's more about poking and asking the right questions and i think to be very let's say honest with you i think that for a finance person to ask those types of questions effectively, that finance person has to spend a lot of time with the business to understand the business model and all mm-hmm. the levers that they can play. So that's probably the, the key, that you need to understand the business really well so that you can ask, ask the right questions and you can start pushing the other departments on like, hey, your cost is too high. It's because of this. And that's when, where the power of data starts to, to, to help fight. from that
0: which which I want to dive into but before we do there's I've always been fascinated by the concept of unintended consequences in economics. It's just you do one small little thing and you get an incentive wrong and all of a sudden people are behaving wildly different. Yeah. And I'm just curious like in your line of work how often does that type of analysis come up?
1: Oh, every quarter. Every quarter. <laughs> <laughs> I think so I would say maybe officially every year because you look at okay typically at the beginning of the year you set up a process where you say this is how i'm going to compensate the sellers right and for a, you know it can be from a small company or a big company but in a big company you typically have you know i remember in microsoft you had so many product lines right so then you compensate the sellers right you're going to sell x amount of microsoft 365 and, dyna- and this much of dynamics and then they have different multipliers. Uh, for them to get paid. And then that creates behavior, right? Because if they say, well, if I sell this product, I get a 2x multiplier, but but if I sell this one, well, I just get like 0.5. So I'm not going to sell this one. I'm going to sell the other one. And that's when you start getting into all these conversations because it can start to clash with the strategy of the company. Maybe, you know, a, a particular product is more important for the company at a strategic level, but the quota system and compensation scheme is not set up the right way to support that strategy. Right. So then that's when you start to ask these questions every year, like, all right, our comp plan was like this, maybe we need to change it. And now it should be like this. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that comes every year for sure. And every quarter as well, because then you have all the sellers complaining about, you know, how am (laughs) I not getting quota or whatever?
0: So that's really cool. Now, let's dive into some of this data and and some of the tech aspects of it, because I can only imagine that, you know, like you said at the top of the show, there's AI pieces, there's there's tons of different aspects of technology that must completely transform the way that you're doing your work.
1: Yeah, I think the best in class that I've seen uh, is Microsoft. And again, I'm saying everything that's, it's public here. So it's not, you know, any, (laughs) I'm not revealing any trade secrets, but um, in fact, there's a, there's a website called Modern Finance. If you just Google Modern Finance slash Microsoft, something like that, you'll, you'll see the main page. And, and what that was is that Microsoft was pushing a lot the, to sell technology to help CFOs. uh and i think that that was really cool because a lot of if you think about the universe of companies that exist even if they're big in fortune 500 a lot of them have very archaic processes they have like old versions of sap old versions of microsoft office and a lot of the financial statements are actually you know kept in excel right not even on a on a right on the right system right and that what that creates you know it creates a lot of problems, but the main problem that that creates when there's a lot of legacy systems and, and manual processes is just that it just takes a lot of time to close the books. number one. and then two, back to our kind of cost discussion, sometimes your cost structure can become very inflated. so you need to hire a bunch of accountants to close the books and figure out what went wrong and 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 thats that can happen in a big company or a small company. so I think that when you start looking at these more innovative companies like Microsoft or some of these other new SaaS companies, right? I think that's when they start leveraging all this universe of artificial intelligence, machine learning, anything that has to do with like the data analytics universe and also automation. So there's this space called RPA, Robotic Process Automation. And there's a very cool company called... um, I forget the name now... uh no, it'll come back to me. But anyways, it's basically automating certain processes. And it's very cool because you get a license. And then let's say the accountant tells you, well, this is what I do. It's kind of like a macro in Excel. Okay. This is what I do and, this, and visually. And then the guy can actually automate that with the tool by just dragging and dropping. So there's no code. Okay. So it's it just facilitates a lot of, you know, anything that is very repetitive, that tool can, uh, U, UiPath, that's what the company's called, UiPath. All right. Um, so yeah, they have like these robots that can automate very simple, repeatable processes. And literally that can save money to a company because now you're just buying a license. You just need to train a bit the accountant or the financial analyst who's doing the work. And that's it. Like there's no more, okay, I need another person to reconcile this or so you reduce time, you reduce cost. So that's really cool. Um, that's talking more about, and, and actually let me do a parenthesis here. So, when people think about finance transformation, one of the, the first thing that they think is like machine learning and artificial intelligence. In fact, I actually went there right, straight away, right? But that, right. it's actually a journey, right? There's a map on this website or on Microsoft. They actually paint a, a path to get there. And you start with, okay, let's first understand our data. So how do we get one single source of truth? Where, where, where can we centralize sales and cost and all these metrics that we need? Once you have all that in a single source of truth now you can work with that data and then move it, for example, into a data visualization tool like Power BI or Looker. So then you have all these, the power of data at your fingertips. And then not just the finance people have it, now you can actually democratize the data and share it with, you know, sales or HR. And then now they can make decisions based on that data. So now the whole company has this data culture. And then the last step would be, okay, how do you automate and augment intelligence with machine learning uh, algorithms to grab all that universe of data and help you with a forecast because you cannot process everything right typically forecasts are done either on a run rate basis or you grab the top 10 accounts 80 20 pareto things like that but when you start using these tools that can ingest so much data so much information that's when you start getting insights that you wouldn't have caught before right so that's that's really cool.
0: Yeah, so that, that's certainly, I would imagine, pretty common at the enterprise scale. Is there any of those types of techniques that are available to people who are running you know, smaller shops?
1: So well, I would say the first thing, so yes. So I think anything that you imagine as a, a centralizing data or data visualization, yeah, it's available for people. I think once you, st- when you start moving more into, I would even argue that robotics process automation also would be there. But once you start moving to like algorithms of machine learning and AI, I think that's more of a, you need a lot of a data. Mid- yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. more when you're a mid cap company that at least you have, you know, 10, 20 products uh, right. operate in different regions and whatnot. I think for people that are more like a mom and pop shop, it's more about, all right, what are you using to, you know, record your sales and your cost and where is that? where does that reside? Where, where does that data reside? And then, yeah, there's like these, let's say what we call SMB, like small, small and medium businesses solutions mm-hmm. that people can use and, and there's dashboards and whatnot. So it's more like individual software as a service solutions. Right. And definitely, they can they can buy a license, even the the robotic speed. But I think it's more about the question of, you know, if I was a mom and pop show owner, which I was when I gradu- graduated college, um, I would rather spend that money in you know a new a, a new sales guy or, or something <laughs> than, than right. a software for for accounting. But yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely available, and, and sometimes you have like these free trials where you can try thirty days or, or whatever. And, you know, it, it it works pretty great. And I think it's also more of getting your feet wet of what's out there. Right. And being more savvy and kind of thinking, okay, this is how, you know, because at, at the end of the day, I think any business will become a data business, data-driven business. Right. So trying that out, even if you're a small business, I think it's a good idea.
0: And what kind of questions would they be able to answer if they if they tried to use some of these technologies?
1: For example, you know, sometimes... And let's start with something so simple like Excel. Excel is such an underrated tool because most people see it as a spreadsheet just for like, you know, okay, uh, a table and maybe the occasional chart. Right. But it has so much potential of giving you insights because if you know how to really create charts, for example, or a macro or things like that, you can save a lot of time and then you can correlate different data points so not just financial data but for example you could go to operations or um you know for example the marketing team that that's one thing that i used to love to do because you get marketing data which for example customer touch points uh pipeline or you know kind of like how the funnel goes through and and they pace all this and like if efficacy of uh marketing campaigns and things like that and then you can map it to a customer so you can kind of you know Things that I remember that I do when I was an analyst is, is okay, I, I map out in a chart my revenue line, like, by month. And I see, okay, I did, I don't know, $500,000 in January, a million dollars in February. And then I see how many active campaigns did I have um, to generate a dollar of revenue. And then you would say, okay, three, four, five. And then you can start seeing trends, right? You can start seeing, okay, wow, it's interesting. I generate the same amount of revenue, but I actually cut a campaign this quarter or this month. But then you start questioning, oh, okay, maybe I didn't need that. And then you start segmenting, right? You, start, you can start segmenting, oh, okay, this campaign was for this type of industry or this type of product, and it didn't give me any money. So maybe I should take it out, kill it, and use that money to for those, uh, you know, campaigns that are actually do, generating money. Right. Then you start pumping more money on that campaign, and then you start, you know, re- unleashing more more revenue generation power. So... I think that's a cool use of, you know, start to combine data points from different functions to get different insights. So I think that's something that definitely can be done in Excel without even going further into a high tech solution.
0: Into something really robust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Cool. Well, what I like to do is, is kind of wrap up the show with three sort of actionable tactics that, that people listening can use on, on a daily basis. So if you were to, you know, wrap up every, everything that you were talking about, what, what are the three things that come to mind for you?
1: Yeah, I think the first one would be learn a little bit about finance. If you're a business owner or you work in a big company, even if you're not, especially if you're not in the finance function, right? I hope that if you are in the finance function, you actually know finance. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, I, you know, I read a very good book uh, when I was, so after university. One of the things that I struggled was to explain financial results to people that are not in finance, right? Because you have so many metrics and you have so many things that are complex that someone in sales or someone in manufacturing will never understand or might actually not even care about, right? So there was this book called Financial Intelligence and the authors are Karen Berman and Joe Knight. And the book is literally a guide of what the numbers mean for non-finance managers. Oh, so I wow. Think if anybody reads that, it's literally like a dummy's version of all of the stuff, like income statement, balance sheet, cash flow, That's awesome. and even like metrics, like okay, you know, if you want to, what is a return on equity or return on assets or you know inventory, uh, you know, turnover ratio or whatever. Right? So like all these things that are, and then I think it even breaks it apart of okay. If you're a manufacturing manager, what type of stuff that you should be asking your finance person about? Okay. So I think I would start there. And then there's now like a bunch of courses now on Udemy or, or LinkedIn learning about finance. So I, I would also start there.
0: Mm.
1: The other thing is if you work in a different function, so if you're in marketing, you know, sales, HR, whatever, and you work in a company, you definitely need to get close with your finance person or accountant because they can tell you first of all they can generate a bunch of data for you that can help you make decisions and nothing beats having the data at your fingertips so if you know i can give you many examples of functions that you wouldn't even dream of that would work with finance for example human resources besides payroll you think well what else and there's a ton of stuff, right? Like you can pull, okay, which people are, you know, in a manufacturing uh, context or a services context, which people are utilized, which people are actually putting in the right amount of hours to generate revenue, if that's their job. Or you could even give metrics like, you know, how is vacation time or paid time off affecting my revenue generation activities, right? for example, in Europe, you have a lot of these PTOs in august or or july when people are like oh man like why is my revenue down if you're sitting in for example in california or seattle in the (laughs) headquarters why why is my revenue down you're well you you have to understand the cultural complexity in europe that you know it's off right in july and august it's off so you're going to see a revenue drop um if you work in, for example in 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 the sales department in retail you're going it's so useful to understand why is your sales peaking in a given month right if you're in retail you know that thanksgiving black friday like the uh christmas right it's just gonna you know yeah. blow out of the water the sales right. number so it's important to understand okay is it because i had more customers or is it because i had one customer that just kind of drove uh and i remember an example when amazon was i think it was someone that bought m- like most of the inventory of toys toys ross to okay. sell it in the amazon store so <laughs> you know like that <laughs> Imagine buying the whole Toys, toys R Us inventory to, to sell it. So that's kind of like a big one-off. Right. Um, and then I think the last thing, yeah, you know, start to get into tech trends of, of finance, especially if it's someone who works in finance or wants to develop a career in finance. Start getting into, you know, what are these tools like robotics, machine learning, SQL, for example, it's super mm-hmm. important, especially in tech companies like Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Uber, they will all ask you, hey, do you know how to code SQL? because they want you to go into, so there, I, actually in Google, there, there's this culture of like, everybody's a coder. But right. so when I arrived, I didn't know SQL, right? So I start. they get, <laughs> yeah, they get you in this culture of like, all right, you need to learn how to code. And it's useful because then you can manipulate data better. And for example, I, one of my biggest frustrations was, was when an Excel file would crash. And now with SQL, now you can say, all right, I want it like this and like this. So, so the data becomes a lot, leaner right so you can export a table right. and uh and yeah so i would say start learning about technology so those would be my three things read understand a little bit of financial literacy mm-hmm. talk to your account or a finance person and then start getting into the trends of finance
0: that's awesome so if people want to find out more about you and what you're up to where would you send them
1: yeah so right now i'm uh very active on twitter so you can my handle is at Antonio Reza. And, uh, you can probably, find, I'm all, I also same handle for LinkedIn. So I, I also write there, but those two, those two are the places where, where you can find me.
0: Hey, thanks so much for being a part of the show today. Now, the worst thing we can do is let all this wisdom pass us by and not act on it. There's so much more to the show, but you'd be missing out if you don't subscribe to the newsletter. This is where you start to leverage these tactics that you've heard in the show in a very real way. So go to leverage3podcast.com and you can join right there on the homepage. Also, please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter where I'm at Craig Shoemaker. I'd love to hear from you. I hope you have a great day. Find someone to love, find someone to forgive and find someone to encourage today. Thanks again. And I'll see you here again soon on the Leverage 3 Podcast.